never look for a roommate on Craigslist. It was about two months ago that I moved in with Claire, I think. Honestly, things have been a little crazy since then, and I can't exactly remember. Anyway, I just split up with my boyfriend, and I really needed a place to live. When I saw the ad online from a woman looking for a roommate, the rent looked too good to be true. But as I said, I was desperate. It was three days later, I think, that I moved my few meager boxes into Claire's house. It was an older place, but seemed to be in decent enough shape. I'd only talked to her on the phone, so I was a little nervous moving in. She'd seemed nice enough, but she was a stranger after all. When she opened the door, I was honestly surprised to see a totally normal-looking woman standing there. She was actually really pretty and had a great smile. Hi, she said, pulling me in for a hug. I was a little taken aback, but I couldn't afford to offend my new roommate. Let me help you with your stuff. She walked with me to the car and helped me with my few pathetic boxes before giving me the grand tour of my new place. Honestly, it was amazing. There was a beautiful kitchen, a cozy living room with a fireplace, and even an enclosed porch. I'll admit I was a little enchanted. But after she took me upstairs, that uneasy feeling started to come back. She showed me where my room was. It was surprisingly large and fully furnished. She pointed out her room and showed me the upstairs bathroom. But there was one door that she pointedly ignored. I should have left it alone, but I just couldn't keep my mouth shut. What's in there? I asked, gesturing to the closed door. Oh, that, she said, waving her hand. That's just the doll room. Okay, I thought. I'm living with a grown woman who keeps a whole room just for dolls. Totally normal, right? All right, I was really creeped out and part of me wanted to run for the hills. But I needed this place badly, so I convinced myself that I was just being paranoid. Oh God, why didn't I run? For the first week or so, things were pretty great. I had a warm, comfy bed and wasn't worried about making the small rent payments. Claire and I would chat over dinner most nights. We weren't becoming best friends or anything, but she was nice enough and fun to hang with. F, it's hard to write this. It's like my fingers are working against me. Anyway, one night over a shared meal of buttered noodles, I casually asked Claire if she'd always lived in the place alone. She said, Nah, I've had dozens of roommates. So none of them worked out. She shrugged. I didn't think she was going to say anything, but then she stared straight into my face and quietly said, Don't worry, you may have a shot. You have the right kind of eyes. I quickly finished my meal and headed for my room. F, why didn't I run while I still could? That was the same night when I started hearing noises. So let me explain the layout of the upstairs. My room and Claire's are on opposite sides of the hallway. At the very top of the stairs were the bathroom, and at the other end of the hall, sharing walls with both my and Claire's rooms, was the doll room. At first, I really liked the setup. Not sharing a wall with Claire made me feel like I had a bit more privacy. That night, I heard Claire go into the doll room a little while before bed. She wasn't in there for long, though. Later in the evening, I heard it. Like something scraping around on the floor, moving across the wood ever so slowly. I tried to ignore it. It's an old house, and they make noises, right? I kept hearing the sounds for almost a week before I finally asked Claire if she heard it too. She said she didn't. I was almost ready to brush it off. But then the sounds got much, much worse. I don't really know how to describe what I heard the next night. Scratching, banging, whimpering. 
It went on for hours, like someone was having the shit kicked out of them. At one point, I swear I smelled smoke. I plugged my ears and prayed for morning. As soon as it was light out, the doll room was quiet, and I finally fell asleep. By the time I woke up, Claire had already left for work. What the hell does she do for a living anyway? Regardless, I eventually stumbled out of my room in an exhausted haze and went downstairs to heat up a frozen waffle. When I finished the box and went to throw it in the trash, I noticed that the bag was pretty full. Despite my sleep-deprived state, I decided to be a good roommate and take it out to the bin behind the garage. I don't know if I'm glad that I saw, or if ignorance would have been preferable. When I lifted the lid to the bin, what I saw made me dizzy in a way that had nothing to do with exhaustion. Deep in the bin was a porcelain doll. But God, it was horrifying. A lot of the last few months are hazy, but I remember that doll. Most porcelain dolls wear old-fashioned dresses, but not this one. She was in jeans and a plain t-shirt. At least, I think so. God, she was such a mess. Her clothes were in tatters, and most of her blonde hair had been torn out or burned, and I swear to God, she was bleeding. I slammed the lid down and ran for the house. Inside the kitchen, I paced for what seemed like an hour, but I knew what I had to do. Now, I've always been kind of freaked out by dolls, which is why I hadn't even thought about going into the doll room before that point. I couldn't stand the thought of hundreds of dead, glassy eyes staring at me. I tried to shake the image from my mind as I climbed the stairs and walked to the door of the doll room. I took a deep breath as my fingers brushed the cool metal of the knob. I steeled myself and pushed the door open, prepared to face all those eyes. What I actually saw was somehow much, much worse. Just one set of eyes. Just one porcelain doll, standing directly in the center of an empty room. Her long, brown hair cascaded over her purple tunic. F, her eyes looked alive, and I swear she was staring right at me. I slammed the door shut and ran to my room, shaking. I hid there all day, even when Claire came home and knocked on my door. I made some lame excuse, I don't remember what, and stayed inside all evening. That night, the doll room was quiet. After another restless night, I waited until I heard Claire leave before creeping out into the hall. Even though the door to the doll room was closed, I swear I could feel her watching me. I needed answers, so I slowly opened the door to Claire's room and stepped inside. Everything seemed normal, if a little girly for an adult woman. I stood there for who knows how long, taking in the frilly bedspread, the pink nightstand, the roll-top desk. Damn it, it feels like there's too much to remember. The desk, right. I opened the top of the desk and started rifling around, careful to put everything back in its place. In one drawer, I found two books, a photo album, and some sort of ledger. I opened the ledger first. It was kind of hard to make sense of it. In every row, there was a date and two names, one of them underlined. The underlined name was always copied into the row below, paired with a new name. Sometimes the same name would be underlined and copied multiple times. Unable to piece it together, I moved on to the photo album. It was just as confusing, but so much more horrifying. On each page was a photo of a young woman, next to a photo of a porcelain doll made in her exact likeness. I flipped through the pages on the verge of panic. When I saw the last page, I was overcome with nausea. There was the blonde doll I had spotted in the trash the previous morning, right next to a photo of her real-life twin. I dropped the book with a gasp. I just kept shaking my head 
trying to process what I was seeing, when suddenly, a voice made me jump up from the chair. Resourcefulness is a worthy attribute, Claire said from the open doorway. I hope it helps you with Tiffany. She's been the reigning champ for too long. What the F are you talking about? I yelled. Claire shrugged. She was kind of a bitch as a roommate, and honestly, I'm getting tired of her. Hopefully you can do better than the last few when we get you in the doll room in a few months. Before I could reply, Claire pulled a metal pipe out from behind her back and swung. After that, everything went dark. I woke up back in my room. I've been here ever since. Claire kept the door locked at first, but now my knees are too stiff to make it far anyway. It has taken days to type this up with a stiffness in my fingers and increasing fogginess of my mind. Claire only comes in here to give me food, though I need less and less every day. I'm honestly surprised she let me have access to the internet, but she says no one would ever believe my story. But maybe one of you will, and will send help. Until then, I have nothing to do but watch myself get smaller, my joints stiffer, my skin smoother. Any every day, I can hear Tiffany laughing from the other side of the wall. I was going to buy a Jaguar the car, not the animal from Craigslist. I had to send my dad to check it out due to work and schedule conflicts. My dad checks it out and simply tells me that it was not the same car as pictured. I guess there was a lot more body damage than pictured. He said he pointed it out to the guy and declined to purchase at the price asked. The guy flips his shit and tells my dad to get lost so he leaves. This guy calls me while I'm at work and yells at me about how rude my dad was and wanted me to apologize. I tell him to F off. He keeps calling me for days, leaving all kinds of nasty messages right before I change my number. The last message is him ranting, then asking me if I still wanted the car at the price my dad offered. Could not believe this guy. I had discussed renting a room from a woman on Craigslist and showed up on the first day of the contract to move in and pay rent for the first month. She's showing me around, and right before we entered the room she asks, Did I mention the fire? The room was entirely black, with sections of the ceiling ripped out, sections of the floor melted off, entirely blackened walls with a charcoal trim and blinds melted in a pool at the bottom of the window frame. One of the windows was boarded up, and it smelled like a thousand cigarettes, as a nice tough on the horrible appearance. Everything was covered in soot. She tried to guilt me into paying for the room anyway because she had already paid to have keys cut, despite forgetting to mention this small detail. I left with a huge grin, trying not to laugh. It had slipped her mind that the room she was renting to me burnt down in between that moment and when she sent me pictures. Not Craigslist, but eBay. This was about ten years ago. I sold a sealed collector's item to some lady who said she was buying for her son. Both my auction listing and my congratulatory email stated that I strongly recommended shipping insurance due to the item being a collector's item i.e. its value would decrease if damaged. I had also stated in my listing that shipping damages are not my fault and I will not accept returns. She declines the insurance. As I'm about to ship the item, I ask how much insurance will be. They said it was an extra $1 to insure it up to $250. The item sold for $170, so 
so I figured what the hell. I'll do her a solid. I get a nasty email from the lady about a week later. The item arrived damaged and she demanded a complete refund, including shipping and return shipping costs. My only F up at this point was shipping it via UPS rather than USPS she requested the latter and used it against me in the email. Fine. She was right. I decided that I'd work with her to resolve the issue since it was kind of partially my fault. I contacted UPS to initiate the insurance claim. They needed to inspect the item to verify damage. I told her so. At first she was compliant with me. But then I got a notification from UPS that they attempted three times to receive the item, but she refused to release it. The insurance claim was then denied and closed. I emailed the lady to let her know that I would not be able to issue a refund. She then fired back claiming that her attorney advised her to not release the package to UPS. She then accused me of sending her a damaged item and that I was trying to scam both her and UPS. She initiated a claim via eBay and PayPal claiming that the item I sent was not as described. I spent days arguing with PayPal via email and phone to no avail. They sided with her and issued her a refund by deducting the funds from my account. She then returned the item back to me, which looked like she had an elephant trample over it. She left my first and only negative feedback on my account. Before the refund was given taken from me, I had already requested a check from PayPal since I did not link my bank account or credit card info to PayPal you didn't have to back then. I'm not sure what their policy is now so I ended up getting the check for the purchase of the item and deposited it before they sided with her. So my account then had a negative balance. They attempted several times to inform me that I needed to pay the balance. I refused. They sold my debt to a debt collector. The DC made one attempt to get me to pay. I cited the Debt Collection Act, then send documents showing why I felt I didn't owe PayPal a dime. I never heard from any of them again, and I never saw an impact on my credit history. My in-laws purchased a chaise on Craigslist from a preacher who was downsizing his estate, apparently because he lived too lavishly. So they go over and make the exchange $100 for what must have been a $2,000 piece of furniture. It was gorgeous. The preacher says his son Tiny will put it in the back of the truck for them. Tiny was straight out of a gangster film, six six foot plus, 300 pounds, and the dude lifts the 250 pound chaise by himself into the back of the truck. They get it home, and my MIL is cleaning it off a good once over to get the old owner farts off the piece and reaches down in the crevice and pulls out a couple of hundred dollars. Reaches into another part and pulls out a few more hundred dollars. In total, the chaise was holding $970 in cash. Needless to say, it was awesome, and there was a lot of speculation as to the circumstances. But the one that makes the most sense is that the preacher was offloading cash during his downsizing. I checked Craigslist for similar estate sales now, hoping to hit a jackpot like they did one day. I bought a car after my first one was totaled. It was listed as being sold by a dealer. The guy sold cars out of his house and somehow had all the paperwork to make everything official. He also claimed to be a mechanic and give, but again just did work out of his house. 
We got the car from him, knowing it needed minor work brakes and new tires. It ended up having a new problem each week and was in the shop more than it was on the road. Finally, the head gaskets went and I sold it for scrap. In the end, what was spent on repairs was the same as what we bought the car for. In retrospect, I should have walked away, but I was in desperate need of a car fast, so it seemed good enough. I had just lost my job, and I didn't know what to do next. I had lived in Vegas for a significant part of my life, so it became my home where my heart belonged. However, now I only had money for two more months of work, or from my savings to pay for my rent. If I didn't, I would have to live on the street, so thinking about living like that made me very upset. It made me so desperate that I was ready to take any small job I could find just to pay my rent. The problem was I had no money left now, and after two months, I would run out of money. I hated the idea of that, and it drove me insane. I spent many nights unable to sleep until I finally had an idea. Well, actually, it wasn't my idea, as a friend suggested that I look for small jobs on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace. They said you could make good money by doing different kinds of small jobs like taking care of dogs, cleaning, or providing security for people's houses. Because of my previous work, I thought security might be a good fit for me. So, I started looking at security job listings. In Vegas, there are lots of clubs, especially at night. The nightlife is a big reason why people come here. So, I started looking through the security job section, and it was absolutely huge, with many open positions, some even paying three times more than the usual rate for security guards in the U.S. But, you know, this is Vegas, and while the pay was high, so were the living costs. Rent was crazy expensive. Just for a small one-bedroom apartment, I was paying thousands of dollars. We're talking about two grand, and this was a while back, so it's probably even higher now. Finally, I found these job ads, and there I was sitting in my kitchen with my feet up on a stool, twiddling my thumbs. I like being in my kitchen. It's where I have my best ideas. I have a table in the middle of the kitchen. That's where I eat my breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I do my thinking, reading, and sometimes watch Netflix on my laptop here. No, I'm not cutting off my Netflix to save money, so let's not even think about that. Anyway, after all this, I couldn't find the right words. I had so many options that I didn't know what to choose. Should I pick the one closest to me, or should I choose the one that pays more? Or maybe the one with fewer hours, so I could still get some sleep before it gets bright outside. Most of the jobs started around 8 p.m. and ended at about 5 a.m., some until 3 a.m. But I thought the longer shifts might pay more overall, and that way I wouldn't have to work as much during the week. So I found a job at a club, but I won't say its name for clear reasons. They were offering good money per hour. This club had an underground park with a special area for important people like VIP tables in a separate room covered by a tent. It's a bit hard to explain any simpler than that. The job description was very basic, and the club's manager, who was called Danny, had written it. They were looking for something simple. They had a rule about how tall you should be, which I thought was strange because nowadays they usually don't have such height rules anymore. In many cases, this kind of thing might be seen as unfair treatment, but oddly, this ad had that requirement. I remember that in the past, especially in the UK where my parents came from, you had to be six feet tall to be a police officer, 
and if you wore glasses, you couldn't join the police because they didn't allow contact lenses. I know it sounds unbelievable, but my granddad was actually turned down because he was 5 feet 10 inches tall and wore glasses. So as I was looking at the ad and trying to decide if this was the right job for me, I liked the idea of working in an underground nightclub. Just so you know, I wasn't someone people could easily push around. I was 6 feet 3 inches tall and weighed 250 pounds. I was a bit on the heavier side, but that actually worked well for being a security guard or a doorman. The job was straightforward. Check people as they came and went, make sure they had their IDs, verify their identity, and if someone caused trouble, handle them and remove them from the place. So, it's that simple. Even though I think I'm pretty smart and did well in school, don't ask me how I ended up in Vegas doing night shift work. That's a whole different story. As I sat in my kitchen, the evening was getting close. I needed to have dinner, but I decided that before I did that, I should contact Danny. I sent him a message through the Craigslist ad. Then I stood up again, pushed my chair in, and walked over to the fridge to get some food. Just as I was grabbing the handle, I heard a notification sound on my laptop. I went right back, pulled the chair out again, and it was a message from Danny. He replied really quickly, in about four and a half seconds, like he was waiting for someone to apply. The message was something like, We need you now. Can you come tonight? This shift starts at 8 p.m. and ends at 3 a.m. He mentioned the pay, what I would earn, and some things I needed to wear. He also explained what I would be doing during tonight's shift. He said they had a big event, the nightclub's anniversary, and they needed a lot of security staff. So, a bit hesitantly, I put my food down and placed it back in the fridge. I closed the fridge door, picked up my boots, got my black jeep ready, and grabbed my dark waterproof jacket. Danny had told us to wear all black, and he mentioned in the ad that he would provide us with the necessary tactical vest, ID, and some extra stuff that I probably shouldn't talk about here. But let's just keep it between us. The thing is, I won't mention the nightclub's name because what happened next was really crazy and awful. It's something that made me become enemies with the club's owners and managers to this day. So, I stepped out of my place, got into my car, yes, I have a car, but most folks in Vegas don't drive much as they usually take public transport or Ubers, but I had my own little car that I used to get around. So, I got into my car with my stomach making noise. I was hungry, but well, no time for that now. I weighed 250 pounds, mentally preparing myself for what was ahead as I drove with lights all around me. I couldn't help but try to imagine, predict, or see what it would be like to work as a security guard while driving through the busy Vegas streets at night. I pictured scenes of people yelling, cars honking crazily, and groups of folks fighting on the ground with spilled drinks and broken glasses all around. As I drove, doubts started creeping in. I had watched some YouTube videos of bouncers and security guards in the UK, and they always seemed to end up in fights and acted like foolish drunk people. It made me uncertain about this whole thing. I knew I was a cool guy and always stayed calm kept my head clear, and didn't easily lose my temper. I thought being calm would be useful for this job, so while driving, I kept reminding myself that the pay was incredibly good, so it was worth it. If I could persuade Danny, the manager, to let me work three nights a week, I'd be making the same money I used to earn from my old full-time job, which was five days a week. 
Because of that, my heart started beating fast, and I extremely felt nervous. The nightclub was in a complex inside a building, and then underground for safety reasons and probably legal ones too. I won't give too much detail about how I got there. Let's skip ahead to when I reached the nightclub entrance. There was a set of stairs leading down to the nightclub, around 20 or maybe 30 steps, so it was quite long. But I couldn't help but wonder how drunk people were supposed to manage going up and down these steps, while swaying all over the place and not in their right minds. Maybe that's something I overlooked when I read the Craigslist ad helping intoxicated folks on these steps seemed really risky. As I stood there, an idea crossed my mind. Maybe they could cover the steps with foam or some kind of grip material to make it safer. But keep in mind that my job wasn't so much about guarding the people. It was more about keeping the club and the staff safe. Because of this, I had to go directly to Danny for instructions. He gave me a vest to wear, but it was a bit tight because I was the biggest guy around. I was kind of surprised that I was the biggest there. I know being 6 feet 3 inches tall is tall, but it's not super tall. I know guys who are 6 feet 6 inches or 7, and I even know someone who's 6 feet 10. But the thing is, a lot of the other security guards seem to be around 5 feet 9. I know judging people by how they look or their height isn't right. However, the reality is that if you're facing a small and not very intimidating doorman, you're more likely to not take them seriously. That's why most security guards appear to be intimidating, overweight, tall, and have lots of tattoos on their faces. On the other end, Danny had a habit of being really dramatic and had very high energy. I couldn't tell if he had taken something, but he was full of excitement. The nightclub was about to open in an hour. There was no line of people waiting outside yet. He quickly talked to all of us, telling us that we had to check everyone's ID. If anyone didn't have an ID, we had to turn them away and not let them in. Then I put on the vest he gave me and added some extra gear he provided, like gloves and some other things. During the briefing, he explained what I needed to do, how we could control people without hurting them within the law, and what to do in challenging situations. The briefing took about 15 minutes. All five of us security guards had our own chairs to sit on. Danny had a small whiteboard that he moved to the middle of the nightclub so we could all see. He used the marker pen to draw scenarios and explain them. He was really good at drawing, even though he was just drawing simple pictures. When the briefing was done and we put our chairs back, he moved the whiteboard out of sight into a spare room. After that, the bartender arrived and people started getting ready for the shift. The owner didn't usually come to these events, even for anniversaries. They kept a low profile and supposedly lived in Italy. So if I had any problems or questions about my job, I was supposed to talk to Danny, as he was the one who would pay me and give me instructions. Each security guard had a specific area to cover. There was a small booth downstairs just after the last step. It was like the second security checkpoint. Four guards were stationed at the top, checking IDs, making sure people weren't too drunk, and allowing them in if their IDs were clear. Then those people would come down the stairs, and I'd keep watch from the booth. I was closest to the nightclub, including the dance floor and the bar. If there was a problem downstairs, I would be the first one called, and it made sense since I was the biggest. Sitting in the booth, I had about 20 minutes until they let the first guest in. I started feeling really nervous, and by nervous, I mean not like how I felt when I was driving here. 
It was the kind of nervousness I hadn't experienced in a long time, like the nervousness I felt before my high school cross-country race, which was nearly 20 years ago. So, I sat in that booth, playing with my thumbs, waiting for the 20 minutes to pass. Danny had given me clear instructions to watch out for certain behaviors, movements, and even drinks spiking, which would turn out to be important later in this story. The next part of this all began when the club opened. People started coming down. All the girls in their short dresses and skirts, the guys who were quite drunk, trying their luck, and sometimes families would come in. By families, I don't mean kids under 18, but more like groups from other countries enjoying their time in Vegas. I'm guessing the nightclub had daytime promoters handing out flyers to encourage people to come. The underground nightclub had a section in the left corner. In that part of the club, there were pole dancers and other exotic performers. I didn't focus on the performance as much, as my job was to watch over the guests and the bar. So if there was a problem, I would still assist them. But Danny told me not to worry about any of the performances. He said any of the women who were professional goals were not to be talked to. Only he spoke to them. Let's skip ahead to around one o'clock in the morning. I had been sitting in that booth for what felt like five hours, which it actually was. My legs were starting to cramp, so I would stand up in the booth and stretch every half hour. It looked a bit funny, but I was still doing my job. I had a small flask under the table in the booth, and sometimes I would take a sip from it. It had Gatorade and some snacks, so when the shift ended and it turned to a M, people started leaving, and I was only called over once the entire night. There was a guy who kept bothering a girl, touching her shoulders, and invading her personal space. He didn't resist much and left when I told him to, which was good. He was incredibly drunk and stumbled up the stairs on his way out. I helped him up the last few steps and then nudged him up to the top as I walked back down. I headed back to the booth. This time I saw Danny in the corner. I hadn't seen him all night until now. He comes up to me and says slowly that the final part is about to start now and his face all lit up with a big smile. His eyes seemed like they were about to pop out of his head. I could tell this manager had been doing something, let's say he had been partying himself. I turned and started walking back to the booth, getting ready for my last hours at the nightclub. Then, out of nowhere, Danny taps me on the shoulder and gestures for me to come closer. He tells me to follow him. He walks clumsily over to the bar. It was clear this guy was not in his right mind. Danny stumbles onto the bar, resting his hands and upper body on it. He shouts to the person behind the bar, asking for shots. Then he says something strange. The special ones, my friend, remember, and winks at the bartender. I thought this guy couldn't get any crazier. Which manager or owner would be partying in their own nightclub? Without me and the security team, this place would be a complete mess. The owner didn't seem to care about anything, as he was in Italy and hadn't visited for months. Then, Danny invited me to take a shot with him and poured two glasses, one for me and one for himself. What happened after that, I won't remember. After I drank that shot, I downed it and went back to my booth. The next thing I recall is waking up, but the place was empty. I thought to myself, what just happened? There was no security team and Danny was nowhere to be found. I walked around a bit and checked my phone. It was four in the morning. The doors were open, but no one was around. After a while, I started exploring the back rooms, and there I found Danny passed out in a chair. 
so I woke him up, telling him that I had fallen asleep. He laughed it off and said he would pay me the next day. He paid in cash after each shift, which made the job even more appealing. I wondered if the alcohol was really that strong, or if it was because I hadn't eaten anything with an empty stomach practically the whole day. I don't know for sure, but that night I decided that if he offered me a shot during the next shift, I wouldn't take it. And that's what happened, and the same thing repeated with the usual guests, although fewer, since it wasn't the anniversary. When it reached two o'clock, Danny invited me over to the bar again. He poured shots for both of us, but this time I pretended to drink mine. When he turned away, I poured the vodka into someone else's glass. Then I set the shot glass down, returned to my booth, and just sat there. But what I saw next was shocking. It turned out that he had been putting something in my drinks. As I drifted off to sleep, he had been bringing women into the club, drugging and exploiting them, using the club for his illegal activities. The women would perform for the men who would then give them tips. But I won't give out the name for a very good reason, as the operation to catch them was secretive. It's risky even just sharing this story with you. I was being drugged so I wouldn't notice the girls being taken downstairs by him. I'm not sure what happened to the other four security guards whether they were paid off or involved. I don't know if they were part of it and had been there for years. He intentionally tried to make me fall asleep so I wouldn't witness what was happening next. So around 3 a.m. Danny brought down a group of over eight women. They all seemed really drunk, even more than Danny himself. As the shifts went on, I kept pretending to drink the shot and also acted like I was falling asleep in the booth. I started to dig deeper and investigate further. In the end, my fears were confirmed. Yes, these women had been drugged, sedated, and trafficked in to make Danny earn huge amounts of money every night. After this, I left Las Vegas completely. I didn't feel safe, and I won't share my name or the nightclub's details. I hope you'll understand. Danny wasn't the real name of the nightclub manager. The club got shut down for investigation. At least that's what I last heard and I stopped asking for updates. Las Vegas has a shady side. It's not a place to mess with. I wish I hadn't taken that job from Craigslist. If I hadn't, I might still be in Vegas now, but I had no choice but to leave.